Okay, well, welcome to everybody. It's been lovely seeing, I can see a few of your faces, but also seeing your names pouring in from the lobby. Um, lots of stalwart um, attendees at these Yoke HR sessions. And for those of you who've not been to one before, um, I very much carried on doing what we do when we physically get in a room together. And before I talk about the main topic, pick on a few things that I've picked up on crossing my desk or in the news, et cetera, just to give you a bit of an update as to things that are, are happening. Um, the first thing to note is that the um, Queen's speech did not include any employment legislation. Now, there have been things building up a bit of demand ahead of steam for a few years now for an employment bill um, designed to deal with a few of the sort of outstanding issues, things like maybe changing um, protection for women um, who are pregnant or on maternity leave from redundancy, um, things dealing with some of the stuff that came out of the good work um, plan and the review of things like um, work gig economy workers rights zero hours contracts some of those things having an enforcement body to enforce the law in certain areas of employment law none of those things seem to be on the current radar um <coughs> excuse me so it doesn't look like we're going to have anything happening quickly in terms of the employment tribunal anyone who's got a claim ongoing for some reason i've got a really tickly cough you'll know that there are big delays in the system now so i'll give you an example i filed a defense for one of my clients on the 23rd of february normally i'd expect that to be processed a couple of days maybe a week something like that it wasn't processed until the end of may so you know that just gives you an idea of the kind of delays that we're dealing with um, and i think that's possibly only going to get worse rather than better at the moment um it is meaning that it makes our lives quite difficult because you can't get any response even to the telephone when you ring at the moment in cardiff um so all the usual things that you might do like yes we'll just write to the tribunal about that and we'll we'll get them to make a decision about something you just can't can't get um can't get anywhere um so a definite challenge for us employment lawyers at the moment. In terms of um, claims, they are increasing. You'd expect that in the current economic climate. Um, interesting when the age discrimination claims seem to be increasing significantly compared to the, the tra tra trajectory they've been on um, in recent years. Um, so uh some thinking that that is around what's going on in the pandemic <coughs> certainly if i look at the five or six tribunal claims i've got on my desk at the moment two of them have got age discrimination angles to them so um my snapshot is accurate as to what's going on there in in the wide wider world we've started to have the first few sort of covid related claims going through the tribunal you may have picked up the case of the lorry driver who was dismissed for not wearing his face mask on a customer site when he'd been asked to do so. Um, and the, that was found to be 
it followed a fair process and all the rest of it found to be a fair dismissal. There's also been a case involving somebody who didn't want to come back to work and was refusing to work in the workplace, saying they didn't think it was safe. Um, not specific to that workplace, it was a warehouse. They put in place all the social distancing, the mask wearing, the the hand washing, the um, sanitisation, et cetera, et cetera. So they were following all the guidance, if you like, about COVID secure workplaces. But the particular employee had a young baby and also a disabled child who was shielding and didn't want to take the risk to his family of exposure by returning to the workplace. And uh, he brought a claim, we've talked a lot in the last year, about Section 100 and Section 44 of the Employment Rights Act, which, if you remember, are the sections that allow somebody to say, in circumstances where there is an imminent danger, I've taken action to prevent, um, protect myself, um, and you've dismissed me because of that. Um, the logic that the tribunal followed in this particular case was around um, if we went down the rabbit hole of saying that an employee who was refusing to work to work in those circumstances um, was automatically unfairly dismissed, then potentially you'd open up claims to um, every single, excuse me, um, every single um employee who uh you know wanted to to refuse so floodgates would open essentially so that's why the uh the tribunal didn't find in that person's favor now that particular employee didn't have two years service so he couldn't claim ordinary unfair dismissal and the tribunal did comment that there were some concerns around the process that the employer had followed so you know, process is king. If you ever speak to me, I'm going to be banging on to you about, about the process that you follow if you are dismissing someone. Um, but it was interesting that that is the way that particular decision went. You may be aware end of this month is the deadline. So literally a couple of weeks left for anyone who is an EU national to get themselves settled status in this country or pre-settled status. I'm still hearing lots and lots and lots of stories of people who believe they've already got the right to be here and they haven't got the right paperwork. Um, maybe they're married to somebody uh, here, they've been here 20 years, you know, they think that they tick all the boxes to stay and they don't necessarily have that paperwork in place. Um, so if you have got anybody that fits into that category, please talk to them, please get them some help and support. Um, I know Newfield solicitors here in, in Wales have had funding from Welsh Government to support people through the process. Um, so please make sure that people don't end up in, in a situation where they're not legally entitled to, to work in the UK um, next month. Interesting case relating to a topic that 
quite often comes up when people are talking about um, gender these days. We talked last time, didn't we, about the um, the case involving Jaguar Land Rover and um, the person who'd undergone gender reassignment in that particular case. Um, this particular case that I'm talking to you about now involves an individual who had critical views around that issue and was expressing their view that in order to be a man or in order to be a woman, um, you had to align that with your biological birth. Um, and the Commission for Equality and Human Rights has got involved in that particular case, um, somebody called Mayor Forstatter, um, to ensure that protection is given within the law to people who are gender or critical about those gender issues just as much as other people who might be promoting, for example, rights for um, trans people. Um, so sort of equality of arms before the law principle, um, which is, you know, undoubtedly correct thing for, for the law to be looking at. Um, but of course, that potentially leads the employer in the situation of being the one having to referee between employees with strong opposing views. And we, we've had to do that in the past sometimes around things like religious beliefs that might offend people, um, perhaps around disability or um, other, other issues. So um, the employer's sort of typical go-to at that point is always their diversity policy, their inclusion policies, policies that say we have to treat everybody with dignity and respect um, and that somebody may well be entitled to hold their views but they have to, when they express their views, do so in a way that doesn't cause offence and upset other groups of employees. So that's the kind of line that employers end up having to, to walk down. OK, so today's session is to talk about domestic abuse and the role of the employer, how this impacts on work, uh, and where um, employers might come in. And I must admit that until probably 18 months ago, this wasn't massively something on my radar. Um, occasionally, I can remember I had a redundancy exercise once where um, we weren't quite sure we were communicating with an employee who was off sick and we weren't quite sure we were actually communicating with them. We felt that the text messages that we were getting back might not have been from them and we were taking efforts to try and speak with the person that we wanted to speak to and make sure that we did. But it wasn't something that was massively, you know, I wasn't getting lots of questions on it. It wasn't something that came up, up very often. I must admit, I had a bit of a wake up call when somebody um, within this yoga community actually admitted to me that she was splitting up from um, her partner because of this issue and and confided a little bit about what she'd been through um i guess that that made me sit up and realize that the image that perhaps we have in our minds of what 
domestic abuse might look like and who it might impact perhaps we have you know images of watching eastenders or something um doesn't necessarily fit with real life and who might be affected by the issue i know it's something that um victoria derbyshire has been doing a lot about um trying to publicise the impact on children um, because of her own childhood. And certainly um, there's been a heightened concern about the issue because of the pandemic and when everybody went into to lockdown. So um, that's what sort of drove me to, to want to talk about the issue today. Um, let me get my slides to, to work. So. The first thing we're going to talk about is what what are we talking about? And you'll notice quite specifically that I don't use the phrase domestic violence because it's a bigger topic that we're talking about than just um, violence. We'll talk about coercive control and the law in that area and then think about how it's going to be relevant to the workplace and what employers can be doing um, to get involved in this area. Now, pre-session, I know I had a question from Harriet around, um, are we talking about men as well as women? And yes, absolutely we are. I think um, stereotypically, we tend to think about women being more vulnerable um, to domestic abuse. But if you look at those statistics that I've put on the, on the slide there, um, that a quarter of all women um, will experience some form of domestic abuse over the course of their lifetime. And it's one in six for men. And I think that just hammers home that we need to burst any myths about who this involves and that it can be anybody that can be affected at different ages. Um, it can be in se same-sex relationships. It can be sibling relationships that are the problematic one. Um, so we need to acknowledge that this is something that can happen to anyone. And because of that, and because we're an employer and we do um, employ lots of different people, the chances are it will affect people that we employ. Um, in terms of some of the other stats here in the UK, um, two women a week in this country are killed as a result of domestic violence. Um, one in five cases, the abuse at some point includes threats to kill and escalates to that kind of level. Um, and in a majority of cases, quite often people don't actually realise, at least for perhaps a long time, that they are being abused, um, that they are being manipulated or controlled in some way. Um, so this is one of the challenges that anybody trying to support somebody uh, might find is that um, somebody shrugs off what's happening to them and says, you know, I'm fine, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong. Um, so it's very important for us to understand that particularly at the beginning of relationships, people may be very happy um, and it may be something that creeps up over time, a bit like a lobster being boiled in a pot um, with, with sort of subtle behaviours and things that do just build up over time until 
they are in a position where um, there is a problem. Um, so we need to factor that into our thinking as well. So what am I talking about with, oh, oh no, about uh, domestic abuse. Now, um, there is legislation currently going through Parliament and this definition will be the first time that there's actually been a definition in law in the UK. And I quite like this um, definition from, from the UK government um, because it talks about an incident. So it can be a one-off thing or a pattern. It talks about controlling coercive or threatening behaviour as well as violence and abuse in adults that either are or have been intimate partners or amongst family members and specifically says that that's regardless of gender or sexuality. So acknowledging what I was saying earlier about it can happen to anyone. But it also specifically um, acknowledges that it can be psychological abuse that we're talking about, it can be physical, it can be sexual, it can be financial and it can be emotional um, as well. Refuge, one of the charities that gets involved in this area, talks about a pattern of behaviour um, that is designed to control and they highlight how it can happen after a relationship has ended and I've certainly come across examples that the problem has only emerged when somebody has stepped away from the relationship um, and the other person has not been able to accept that that is what's happened and has then started um, causing problems for, for the individual. So in terms of themes there we're talking about um, restrictions uh, and controlling the charities tell us that on average, somebody will experience 35 um, episodes of what they would define as domestic abuse before they seek help. So again, one of the other myths I think that we need to, to dispel is the attitude perhaps, well, if it was really bad, this person would do something about it. Um, or, you know, if this was really a problem, the person would would have left. Um, obviously, it can take a lot of courage for people to reach out and share what's going on, um, speak to anybody, do anything about it. And we need to acknowledge in any support that we ever offer that people may be on that journey and it may take them that many occasions or that length of time to get to a place where um, they do do something about it. In terms of restrictions, this could be over just day-to-day -day things. So this might be somebody controlling where somebody is, where they go, who they see, what they wear, when they can sleep even. You might notice them changing, so you might notice them losing weight, particularly if food is being controlled, might become withdrawn, they might become less well-groomed, certainly isolated from their family and friends. Um, one of the things that I heard about during lockdown was people working from home and 
where control is being exercised over things like the heating, access to Wi-Fi, um, you know, people noticing somebody sat on their Zoom with their gloves and scarf and hat on because the heating wasn't on. It might be control being exercised around the Wi-Fi, so somebody saying that they can't attend these kind of meetings. Certainly their time might be being monitored, so they might be being interrupted. Um, what activities they undertake online, so their social media, who they communicate with, who they're emailing may well be um, controlled and monitored in some ways. It may be financial that control is being exercised over. So um, you might pick up on somebody who is running out of money. Um, they have an urgent need to do overtime. They might tell you that their partner deals with all the money issues. They might have been coerced into debt. Um, that is a, a common theme. Um, and certainly for those employers uh, in the room who are involved in credit checking their staff, um, there could be an issue there where there might be people who you wouldn't otherwise employ, etc., um, where there is a problem from a, a, a domestic abuse um, perspective. It might be around things like going to the GP with somebody. So um, I heard uh, an, an ex-wife of a police officer talking on the radio last week about how he controlled her and how when she was trying to reach out, she became very, very ill and depressed and suicidal at one point. When she was trying to speak to her GP about it, when she did obtain medication, he'd always be there. He'd always go to the appointments. And when she was given medication, he actually started overdosing her with the meds because he was controlling what she took every day. She thought she had to take eight tablets a day, but she actually only needed to be taking one. Um, and it was only with, with the side effects of the medication that she became very ill. That the nurse picked up that that was what um, was going was going on. But of course, the individual involved just shrugged off. Oh, I made a mistake um, and got away with it. It might be sabotage that's going on. So that might be things like destroying work clothes, um, hiding car keys. It might even be malicious allegations. So I've come across examples of people referring um, exes to regulators um, and, and sort of claiming to whistleblow about something, even alleging that people have broken lockdown rules to the authorities or to employers uh, and things like that. So we always have to look behind what's going on and think about um, whether this kind of exercise of power might be going on. So I think we need to be training managers to sometimes look beyond the, the obvious of what they see in front of them, um, to think about whether some of these things could be going on in the background. Um, we use the phrase gaslighting quite often and um, Recently, I thought I need to understand where this phrase comes from and 
apparently in the, in 1938 there was a play written and it was about a controlling husband who gradually turned the lights down as part of his psychological games to make his wife in the play um make her out to be deluded basically and um, so that's where the phrase comes from and we now commonly use it to talk about somebody manipulating somebody else's perception of um reality so we might see that kind of behavior going on um certainly a lot of abuse might be psychological rather than the physical and i think there's probably more of a recognition around that now than perhaps in the past in terms of the physical abuse through the pandemic a and e doctors have been reporting that they are seeing more incidences of head and facial injuries um a lot of the charities will tell you that traditionally um abusers can be quite clever and they will know not to lose their temper and um hit somebody and give them obvious bruises that are maybe going to alert somebody and they tend to be more subtle in the um inju physical injuries that they inflict um so that for example bruising isn't as obvious and it seems that through lockdown abusers became more brazen about what they were doing and um weren't trying to hide as much um so i i know lots of you got your camera turned off now if we're talking about somebody in your team that is consistently not wanting to put themselves on screen then in the back of my mind i might start to worry about if there was a reason behind that um so something else to 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 think about um one of the i've put a link at the end to one of the economic um charities that, that sort of focus in on that kind of abuse um they reckon that six out of every 10 cases are around the financial side of things rather than um physical abuse so that's again why we need to to move away from thinking about violence into a much broader abuse that does encapsulate these different um these different things so um you know that might mean women who go on maternity leave in particular can be quite vulnerable at that point that their salary is going to plummet down to the very generous sum that the government um pay of uh, what is it now just over 151 pounds um so just be aware aware of that um of course we all live in this technical age now we've all got these devices where it's a lot easier to um track people um access their devices install spyware um even go as far as sharing images of somebody online with other people and um, there is that angle um to things to to think about as well in terms of the law in 2015 it became a criminal offence to get involved in coercive control 
Um, anyone listens listens to the Archers, you'll be familiar with the storyline that um, illustrated this issue over a, over a number of years. Um, the definition that's that's used in the legislation is about a pattern of behaviour over time to exert power and control. Um, to be a criminal offence, somebody has to fear violence will be used against them on at least two occasions, or it has to cause them serious alarm or distress, which has a substantial effect then on their um, usual day-to-day -day activities. So I think from a policing perspective, um, they're getting a lot better at um, realising that um, this isn't just a domestic that we can turn our back on um, and that, you know, where somebody's life is being micromanaged by somebody else, um, you know, we're into this, this territory. Said we need to bust some myths. I talked about the, you know, if it was really bad, this person would leave. Um, I think we also need to um, check our attitudes around alcohol or drugs and in particular a kind of attitude of oh well he was drunk that you know alcohol can make people violent etc um i think we've all become a bit more clever in the last year or so around people feeling psychologically safe because we've all been aware of our own feelings on, on these things um but you know we need to break any um, association between alcohol and um, you know somebody who is who is sober can just be as as, as abusive as somebody who's been been drinking. You know it's unacceptable behaviour. We just need to call it that and and and, and move on. Um, I've put that I've done something to deserve it there in the middle. If you talk to victims they will say that their abuser has been very clever at making them feel that whatever happens is their fault and that is part of that psychological abuse so when we are picking up on issues and you know we talked about people taking a very long time to go on a journey before they do something about it you know this is one of the reasons why they may not realize that this is happening to them and and that there is um, a problem um, I've said domestic abuse can only happen to certain women. Um, we've already busted that myth, haven't we, that it can happen to anybody regardless of their ethnicity or their social background or their profession. And it happens to men as well as women, et cetera, et cetera. And I think traditionally, perhaps we've had this attitude that this is something that's private, that this is something that goes on in the home and it doesn't impact on work. We're going to go on now to talk about how it does impact on work. Um, but I think as a society, we're getting better at saying, no, we all have to speak out about this. We can't just um, shut it behind behind closed doors. We do need to be um, thinking about it. So as I as I mentioned, the pandemic has kind of heightened the issue. Um, Women's Aid have talked about how when people were in lockdown, um, their escape routes were narrowed. 
and closed down. And certainly all the charities have reported many more calls, um, calls are lasting longer, more being raised um, with them. And, and certainly the Welsh Government came out um, this time last year and acknowledged that we had a sort of toxic mix of people worrying about their financial circumstances. You know, am I still going to have a job? Um, the lockdown restrictions and that things were becoming sort of worse and more, more complicated um, recently. And similar sort of comment here from the chief executive at um, Refuge. And this sort of triggered the government starting a, a campaign around it. Um, you may have seen the hashtag, you're not alone being used to raise awareness of the issue. Um, the Scottish government published guidance. The Welsh government then um, launched a campaign called Home Shouldn't Be a Place of Fear um, just over a year ago and um, funded an online learning course um, so people can recognise the signs of domestic abuse as well as signposting them um, to uh, guidance. The Welsh Government um, did introduce its own legislation um, five years ago um, and from last year made the topic part of the national curriculum so that youngsters are going to be educated um, in this topic. You may have picked up that um, CIPD and the Commission for Equality and Human Rights um, published some guidance um, last year around this issue and also pharmacists have started something called Ask for Annie, um, a bit like um, some bars do for women who are feeling vulnerable. You can ask at the bar and, and um, you'll be sort of exited out of a back door into a taxi or something. Um, pharmacists have a similar initiative called Ask for Annie, where if somebody comes in and, and says that, um, they'll be taken to a, a, a private room and, um, you know, discussions and, and support offered um, and guidance as to where they might go for, for assistance um, as well. I mentioned that there is this domestic abuse bill going through Parliament. Um, like I said, the first time we've had legislation, so that's a really important milestone. In January of this year, government wrote an open letter to employers saying, look at what more you can do to help the survivors of domestic abuse. So that's what I want to, to talk about next is how it impacts on work and, and what things we can do. So um, KPMG and Vodafone, who um, have done quite a lot of work in this area together, estimate that um, the impact on business in terms of cost of the economy is massive. Um, but the shocking thing for me when I started looking in, into this was when people are interviewed about what they've experienced, three quarters of all people talk about how their abuse followed them into work in some shape or form. 
So that might be um, being restricted from going to work. It might be having their car keys taken off them so they couldn't get there. It might be on the journey to work, being driven to work by their abuser, suffering um, abuse on that journey. It might be that when they're in work, that person is still controlling them, ringing them, text messages, turning up unannounced in the workplace. It may be their colleagues having to deal with the consequences of that um, to cover for um, absence, to um, deal with the abuser if they're turning up or if they're ringing in. Um, it may be um, covering for um, somebody's duties if, if their performance is affected. So lots and lots of ways in which it starts to affect work. And I, and I must admit, I was taken aback that that figure was as high as it is. Um, half of all people saying, they felt it affected their colleagues. A lot of people saying that it stopped them going to work, um, that they would take days off because of this issue. Um, one in 10 actually quitting their job over the issue. Um, and certainly a lot of people saying that they were less productive in the workplace. So there is there is that link going on. Um, I mentioned things like, you know, malicious reporting to employers and things earlier. Um, work can be the one time that somebody is getting away from the abuse, a bit like children in school. And we've seen schools throughout the pandemic thinking more cleverly about how they reach out to people that they feel might be vulnerable and so employers are kind of in a similar similar um, position there. In terms of the things that we're normally dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, um, it's your usual list, I'm sure you've all got things on your desk right now that relate to somebody's um, misconduct or maybe they're late, um, performance issues, health, it may be a pattern of absence, it may be more long-term health conditions like anxiety and depression. Um, it might be what's really going on being masked by um, what is being recorded as something and nothing type of sickness issues. So, you know, we deal with this stuff day in, day out, don't we? How often do we step back from that and go, hang on a minute, is this the tip of an iceberg? Is there something else behind what's going on here that we need to to think about and to what extent have we trained our managers to spot that um as well i think um that could be that could be um an issue i know i was speaking to a manager in the last fortnight who'd rung me about some concerns with somebody with less than two years service um and the conversation had started out in a sort of traditional, you know, can we just end this person's probation type of conversation? But when the person started talking to me about what was going on with this person, it became quite clear to me that they were probably suffering from domestic abuse and it hadn't even crossed the manager's um, radar. So I was able to sort of say, need to think about this. Maybe, you know, we need to 
try and talk to talk to the employee. Um, so we're likely to see it cropping up and you know chances are just because we employ people we're going to have the issue and we're going to have to to manage it in terms of the legal background um duty of care is obviously something we've talked about a lot in the last year um we're talking about mental health a lot we're talking about well-being a lot this slots into that whole piece uh, I mentioned psychological safety and us all thinking a lot more about, about that. Um, we could argue there's a moral duty as sort of wider good citizens to be protecting people from this issue. Um, certainly feeds into all your normal stuff around things like um, employees feeling safe in the workplace, um, you know, potentially constructive dismissal complaints if they didn't. Um, normal health and safety stuff around things like risk assessments. We've all been doing them for COVID, haven't we, until we're blue in the face. Um, but I probably bet that nobody's got anything to do with this in their risk assessments. Um, but if we included it in our risk assessments, would it be telling people that we take the issue seriously? There has been an Equality Act case of uh, sex discrimination where a man was being abused by a female partner. Uh, he worked for a housing association and um, he was a victim. There was obviously some kind of altercation where she'd locked him out of their home and he sought assistance but somehow ended up being the one perhaps because judgments were made about you know who may be an abuser and who may be a victim he was seen as the problem so he ended up having his employment terminated as a result of his conduct rather than seeing him as a victim and um had less than two years service so was never going to bring an unfair dismissal claim um, ended up having to rely on the protected characteristic um, under the Equality Act of his gender um, and the, the tribunal was quite critical there of the employer's conduct in that particular case including noting that if it had been an unfair dismissal case it would have been unfair um, so you can see how you know often the law has to um, manipulate what we've got in terms of um, tools to address a particular issue um, and so you know the judges find a way um, and that was the particular way in, in, in that case. Um, I think we have to um, acknowledge that, um, sorry I'll just mention the Protection from Harassment Act before I forget, um, this is the legislation that is designed for stalkers but it's got a much wider definition in it than that um a course of conduct is more than twice so something just needs to have happened more than once um for somebody to to feel harassed um so can be useful if you've got you know, ex-employees turning up in your reception and causing you bother, um, we can threaten them with 
um, this legislation. Um, I know I've certainly had to write a few times to exes of employees who've been making their life um, very difficult. Um, for example, one woman was hanging around on a weekend outside somebody's house, um, making him feel he couldn't leave, leave his home. Um, I've had a recent example of somebody trying to get somebody else into trouble. Um, I don't know whether the allegations they were making were genuine or not. Um, so I found myself having to say to that person, you know, if what you're talking about is real, then the police are the people you need to be talking about about this. If actually you're doing this for other reasons, um, then potentially you could be in trouble under this legislation um, and warn them that we wouldn't sort of hesitate to get the employee to go and talk to the police about this issue. So um can be a useful one to just remind people that, that it exists um, if, there, if there are problems. I was just going on to say, I think we have to admit that if we employ victims, we're also likely to employ perpetrators as well. And that was one of the interesting things about this radio programme that I listened to last week. Um, there's a, um, a senior police officer who, um, since she's now stepped away from doing the job, has been a bit of a whistleblower around this issue in the police force and trying to get the, um, the, the whole um, industry, if you like, to, to acknowledge that you know statistically they probably do have people who are problems as well um so if we are ever in circumstances where we discover we've got um an employee who is the problem then if we also employ the person who's the victim, if we just happen to employ both, then our lives are probably easier because we're in a similar position than we are, you know, any time we have issues between two employees. Um, and we can probably do more about it if it's following them into the workplace. But if we only employ the person who is the perpetrator, um, then normal principles are going to apply around you know i'm sure you're all familiar with this idea is just because somebody does something outside of work um doesn't automatically mean we as employer can do something about it and call it gross misconduct um, we have to find some way of linking what's happened now it may be that your work devices are the way to tackle that issue so if your systems your email system your messenger system your devices have been used to perpetrate the problem, then that may give you um, an in to tackling it. Um, it may come down to what you put in your disciplinary procedure. And it's, I must admit, it's made me think, oh, I'm going to go back and see what I put in you know, my staff handbook when I draft these things around, do we talk about if you commit a criminal offence, you know, outside of work, doesn't need to be connected to work, do we do we create that pathway for us to be able to say as an employer that that is enough for us to do something about or do we only talk about criminal offences that are connected with the work that somebody does um 
So obviously there will be cases where um, what somebody does in their day job, um, like a policeman, social care, etc., where you know, an employer may be able to say, because you've done this outside of work, you know, that affects our reputation or it affects our ability to to trust you to do your job. But for lots of employers, you know, if you work in a factory, um, quite often what somebody's done outside of work, you can't make that link. So we're looking to to to, to make that link and, and find a way um, a way to, to do that. And um, procedure mentioned earlier, um, of course, always going to be there that we have to follow a fair process and do all our investigations and things before we come to any any judgments. Um, I have come across cases where employers have tried to work with somebody if it's if we're talking low level issues um, and offer things like, you know, if you go on an anger management course, um, then you know, we won't dismiss you. Um, we'll look at uh, retaining your employment. So what things can we be doing? Well, the first thing I think we can be doing is help reducing that sort of wall of silence around the topic. Um, just your attendance here today is, is doing that. Um, Recognising that it does affect anybody, that um, we might employ both victim perpetrator and in some cases if we're really unlucky we might end up employing both. Um, I think we have to recognise that nobody is suggesting that as employers you're going to solve the problem for the whole of society but it's about recognising that you can make a big difference and in individual cases you can make um, a big difference. So that's sort of step one. Um, step two is I think managers understanding that it is okay to ask people about this issue you know if if you are worried that somebody isn't themselves if you are worried that there are changes going on you know from a stress management perspective for example you might say that to somebody and say I'm worried about you you don't seem your normal self what's going on here same applies for this issue rather than us going oh it's outside of work we can't have anything to do with that we can we can be human and we can be saying to somebody i am worried about you, you don't see me normal self is there anything wrong is there anything i can do to help now you may ask that question 45 times and get nowhere but on the 46th time that person might be in a place where they are um ready to to ask for for help um, I had an example recently of an employer who got very creative. They knew they needed to speak to somebody, but they needed to create uh, an environment to be able to have that conversation with the person. Um, so they they set up a pretext which was around identity document checking, and that the person had to come into work to do that check. Um, and of course, they'd already done the check. You know, they were quite happy with the information that they had around that. They just needed to get that person away from home and, and into work so they could have a conversation with them. So they were being quite creative uh, about that. 
if somebody does share that there's an issue, um, we need to believe them, what they're saying, and not not question or challenge um, the veracity of of what they're saying. Go with what they are telling you, um, and don't make assumptions. You know, don't assume what they want um, to happen next etc i think it's a question of talking to them about what they would like to do and how you can help and you know being that listening supportive um um person um as, as part of it um again that what can i do to help i think as a manager that's probably the most powerful question you've got in your arsenal is what can i do to help how can i help um, it may be as an employer that we need to, if there is a problem, agree protocols with the person. So um, that might be, you know, if the person rings into work, who's going to handle it? What are we going to say? If the person turns up in reception, who's going to handle it? What are we going to do? Um, do Does the manager and the employee need to have some kind of code phrase or word that can be used that isn't going to alert somebody to a problem um, where that person can signal that they need um, some help or certain steps um, to take place. Um, I've put it on the next slide. Um, the Bright Sky app is quite useful. I don't know if you've ever come across this. It's an app that looks on your phone to all intents and purposes like it's the weather app um, and somebody who is worried about their device being looked at can set the settings on it so that somebody else looking at it is only going to see it as a weather app but behind it is advice and support and signposting and um, if if you if somebody maybe doesn't admit that they're in a position where there's a problem, them knowing that that exists could be useful. And then when they're ready, they may decide to look at it. Um, or when they do feel unsafe, they might decide to look at it. So um, it can be a useful one for you to know that that, um, that exists and, and, and how to signpost people to it. Um, employees might go as far, I know we've got champions for everything these days, mental health and you know menopause champions and, and, and you name it. But again, as part of us showing that we do take something seriously, we might want to start talking about it. We might want to allocate people in the business who have had more training than others um so that if people wanted to go somewhere to talk to somebody not necessarily having to talk to their manager then there is that opportunity it might be about making sure if we are doing some financial well-being training that we weave this issue into that i know lots of employers are, are talking to people more these days about financial stuff do we weave it in there do we weave into information that we give women going on maternity leave um signposting to sources of support 
um, for example, do we use the back of the toilet doors um, to put posters up um, and, and signpost um, support? There's, there are lots of things that employers can do that are kind of subtle um, and, um, you know, don't cost a great deal that could just help somebody one day. Lots of organisations now are thinking about having a, a policy um, it may be that you just include a paragraph in another policy, um, like your sickness policy, rather than having a, a separate one. Because I know we're getting to the point now where, you know, policies are coming out of our ears. Um, if you have got a union, obviously you'd want to do it in conjunction with them. Um, but even, you know, just starting to talk about it in the workplace, I think is, is, is very um, important. Um, I mentioned health and safety risk assessments and I think that is an, an area where you could start to think about areas of vulnerability. Um, you know car parks are an interesting one, you know are car parks well lit or are there loads of bushes where people could be lurking and you know women might not feel so safe walking through them. Um, I once heard Susie Lamplew's mother at a conference um, and she asked us all to put our hands up if we'd phoned into the office that morning when we'd arrived at the conference to tell the conference that we'd got there. And of course, none of us in the room put our hands up. But that was an illustration of, yeah, actually, there would be a logic to um, loan working policies and things making it safer for us all. Um, men and women um, when we're out and about and, and, and doing things. I think there's a lot of other policies that we could amend, just a sentence here or a sentence there that would help highlight the issue. So if somebody's asking for flexible working because of this kind of issue, um equally wanting to work from home or not wanting to work from home because we're all going down this hybrid working and more and more home working policies being drafted at the moment do we have an escape hatch in that document that if somebody is feeling vulnerable at home they can say to a manager i need to come in um and you know they're going to be supported in that and of course, that might may change over time. You know, somebody may have worked at home for five years and been absolutely fine, and then there's a problem. Mentioned the disciplinary policy already. Mentioned health and safety already. You know, maternity and adoption policies. We could weave something into that area um, as well. So lots of places that we could sneak stuff in if we if we needed to. Um, the UN has called for employers to provide um, more financial support around the issue, um, particularly around things like paid time off to access support. Um, you know, the working day might be the only chance somebody has to do that. Um, New Zealand have recently granted in legislation extra holiday sick pay and the ability to ask for flexible working specifically around this issue. So it's interesting to see what's going on um, around, around the world. Um, 
I'm not going to say to you, you know, you have to have particular bursaries or grants or anything that in particular, but I think it is worth thinking about what support can be given um, depending on your size and your resources. Um, sometimes if, you know, if people do decide to take steps, um, then it may be practical support around things like a quiet room, access to the internet, access to the device that isn't being monitored, um, to, to access support. Um, if somebody does decide to leave a situation, they may have to do that in, in, in haste and may be leaving in the clothes that they're stood in. Um, so it may be practical assistance um that's required there again you know talk to people ask them what they what what would help um it may be you know financial loans until um the next pay packet um etc um to help people bridge a gap there is something called the employers initiative on domestic abuse about 500 employers are a member of this organization um that might be a network that you want to join um, because that will then keep you up to date with developments and what's going on, um, enable people to share stories, etc. Um, even just being able to say to your staff, we have joined this, sends a message, doesn't it? Um, like any of these badges that we may choose um, to have on, um, on our paperwork. And I haven't really thought about this, but um, somebody pointed out to me the other day that the assistance that somebody needs may be more when they're leaving you. So if you have managed a situation, if you have put protocols in place, if you have assisted somebody through a difficult time in their lives, it may be with their consent, obviously, that when they are moving on and going to another organisation that we need to help with that transition and that might just be sharing with a new employer um, what you've done um, it might be broaching the subject for them obviously it's going to depend on the individual as to what they want um, but it's interesting that we need to think about it you know for the whole life cycle of uh, Anna there's also a useful comment from uh, Rapinda in the um, the meeting chat just to say uh, women's aid and safer lives work with employers to help them create policies if needed as well yeah um, so that's really useful for everyone to know yeah yeah and um, the stats tell us that if somebody does tell their employer that um the harm long term to their career suggests that those people might be overlooked for promotion or training and those sorts of things um, in New Zealand, the legislation is actually making it a $20,000 fine if um, somebody has uh, made a disclosure to their employer and then suffers a detriment as a consequence. So they obviously felt it was necessary to have that in the law to protect people. Um, here, people would be I suppose having to shoehorn into whistleblowing legislation and things like that at the moment um but it just shows that you know we need to be making sure that that managers don't um 
discriminate against people if they do do share um, about it. So I've stuck some um, links at, at the end of the slides. Um, there's an interesting iPlayer documentary called Is This Coercive Control aimed really at teenagers, um, but um, I understand from people who, who've watched it that they found it quite um, thought provoking, so they recommended, me, me, recommended that. Uh, links to some of the charities there, links to the toolkit that Vodafone have developed that they um, use internally. Um, certainly KPMG, I mentioned earlier, have got some useful resources if you want to um, pick up on those. And then just some links there to um, various charities, as well as the CIPD page where you can find the guidance there that I referred to uh, um, as well. And um, it'd be really interesting to know if, obviously, on without disclosing any names or anything like that, if if anyone's had to deal with um, this sort of issue, and if you've got any tips from that um, experience that you would recommend to to your colleagues, please feel free to take off your mic and shout out if you if you were. Uh, if you have got any war stories to share. Hi, Anna. Um, it's Nikki. Hiya. Um, so funny enough, we've got we've had a, a situation with somebody I know that was um, a, a male that was essentially being harassed by uh, at that stage of leaving the relationship you mentioned earlier on. And there were a lot of instances maybe where we um, it wasn't picked up that that could be something that was affecting work. Um, and I think that individual never would have realised and somebody on the outside looking in wouldn't have realised actually that that was something that was impacting on work and affecting work. Um, so I suppose from um, their perspective as an employee is just understanding how do we get the message out that that, that the domestic abuse as impacts work and that they can come to work yeah. to support yeah i mean it's interesting i did um i did a menopause training session for an employer last week and um i was really heartened by how many guys came along to the session um and at the end of it everyone was just talking about how you know they've never really thought about it before they've never really talked about it before how they felt it was a good thing for us to have spent an hour talking about the topic. And I, I guess this falls into that similar sort of category that you could, you know, as part of well-being programmes that you, you may have. I know a lot of employers will have a spotlight on maybe blood pressure as an issue or diabetes or, you know, um, things where they're educating people and signposting people to resources. Could you build discussion around this into something like that where people who've never you know never given it any thought get that opportunity to go oh yeah there is that issue and I am now more aware of it than I was half an hour ago yeah but yeah I think that's the challenge if we're only just starting to sort of acknowledge and talk about these things we're starting from that start point aren't we where it's it's not something that's on people but the more we talk about it the, the better the antenna of managers but also 
you know, it is generally on people's radar and, and colleague to colleague support is so important in work, isn't it? And yeah. colleagues picking up on something because, you know, we don't tend to share the minutiae of our lives with our manager, but we're the person that we sit next to. We're chatting all the time, aren't we? And, you know, more likely for them to pick something up. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Anyone else got any stories? Deathly silence. Be interesting, um, maybe in the chat, if you've got uh, a policy in place, just to let us know that you have. Um, because it'd be interesting just to see out of the number of people in the room, um, how many organisations have, have put something in place separate to other policies. Sorry, I was on mute when I was talking then. And I just thought I would share two very quick examples. I know everyone. You're very quiet. My microphone was ah, down. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I'll share two very quick examples of how we've supported employees. Um, and there was one situation where um, an employee came to us, they actively came to us. Um, They'd been suffering a little while with their partner who wouldn't move out of the property. Yeah. And this person, they lived here on their own. So they'd moved to this part of the country. Um, so they didn't really have anyone else. They weren't allowed to make, as it turns out, weren't allowed to make friends, etc. So yeah. we were really the only support they had. And that really shocked me because, you know, you just don't think that way, do you really? So um, basically there was nothing other than you know supporting them to speak to the right people but we helped them with you know reporting it to the police and then um speaking to 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 women's aid and and, and stuff but um one thing we did do because there were that the police did arrive and had to forcibly remove the partner but our our employee was scared so we basically just paid for some accommodation in a hotel just for a few days just so they could stay away from the area and yeah. you know it, it didn't cost us much maybe like 300 pounds but it meant everything to them yeah. because their money was being controlled as well so they didn't have access to that so I just think it was little things like that and like you said just asking how can you help yeah. really help that person and then another one where a manager came to us because they noticed the distraction on the mobile phone with the employee and, and their performance was dipping and they were looking stressed and you know it was about encouraging the manager to speak to them and ask them what was going on and again it was the same situation and it's just being there to support them and encourage them to get the right support which they've, they've now left that partner um, and moved areas you know and things like that and it's just offering that um just asking I think was really really important they you know they did say oh, I don't think it's any of my business and I kind of said no it is because yeah. it you know it is and I think it was just people are scared to cross the line sometimes yeah. and um, I just said look from a well-being point of view it is it is your what would you do if this person never turned up to work again and you could yeah. have done something you know yeah. so just two small examples really and I just think you know if they tell you to mind your own business, they tell you, don't they? And I yeah, just think exactly. yeah. and you can always preface what you're saying to somebody with that. Yeah. You know, tell yeah. me off I'm crying, but I am worried about you and, and yeah. this is the why. And you know, I'd like you to think you could talk to me 
if you needed to yeah for sure for sure you open the door then obviously you can't make somebody lead that horse to water but you can't make it drink but yeah you know, exactly yeah, yeah there well, we go useful. thank you for sharing that no worries just like being in the room with you all sharing stories Anyone else? I've actually got a question. It's yeah. Amy. Um, so a lot more of my clients now are obviously recruiting people that are fully work based and actually not in the local area at all. Obviously, yes. Because of COVID. Um, and, you know, it works well. So I guess the difficulty there is I don't think you ever really create the same bond as you do when you're working in an office with someone. Um, and it's a lot easier to hide things then so how would you say you can manage that then i guess that's my concern with full remote working yeah you yeah just... and, and i think that fits with what the charities were saying they experienced during the lockdown where people were more trapped at home and less able to have an outlet um i guess all we can do is try and do the same things as we would do if people were physically together um if managers become aware that there is an issue with somebody um perhaps being controlled in some way where you know the person they're speaking to on zoom is not is editing what they're saying to them um. Um, because of whoever else might be around um then i think we do have to get creative like that example i gave you and th and that's the point at which you say we do need you to come and attend a training session uh. in the office um or whatever to so we can just make sure um if we, if we do have concerns and i think we undervalue intuition Mm. And we've all got it and we all have these moments where our gut tells us something and I think if you're getting that gut feel follow your instinct you know I always say to to my clients you quite often at the end of a conversation where they've told me you know all about their woes with their employer I'll say to people you know what what's really going on here what do you really feel you know what's your gut and they'll they'll come out with something that might be completely different to what they've just spent an hour telling me. And my experience over the years is usually the thing that they say at that point is absolutely bang on the money. Mm -hmm. And we just we we undervalue that that intuition. And I think if you if you have got alarm bells going off around this issue, you are probably right. So mm -hmm. don't discount, don't play it down and go, oh, you know, don't worry about it, you're just being silly. I think it's going, it's saying, okay, my alarm bells are going off, so let's try and do something. Mm. And I think it's that we probably second guess our intuition a little bit more yeah. now because we haven't got that social interaction. So you yeah. do think, oh, well, maybe I don't know them that well or... Yeah you know like one of my friends came back from Australia uh, to work back in the UK last year and she's been back a year and she still had never met her manager so yeah. she says do I really know them do I really know my team so I think we we second guess our intuition then don't we and yeah it makes yeah. it much harder but we but we do still pick up on the 
this person's not performing, mm-hmm. this person's not joining in with the social activities when we all have, you know, wine o'clock on the on the Zoom chat or, you know, whatever it might be. We still we do still pick up on signals. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, don't don't play down your instincts if there is is an issue. I think in terms of policies around homeworking and you know we should all now be doing there is no excuse covid you know is a long-term thing now we got away without doing um risk assessments for people working at home last year don't think we can wash that anymore so as part of you know checking the person's working on an appropriate desk and you know isn't causing themselves repetitive strain injury do we have a box on that form where we're talking to people about these issues Mm. and we assign posting if you don't feel safe in your work stroke you know life space talk to us about it you know we we can help you can only put those things out there but you know you never know when somebody's going to need it Yeah, I think that's a good point. And even just on the risk assessment, finding out who they're actually working. Is there somebody else working from home with them all the time? Because we don't always know, do we? No. Um, You know, lots of employers have got concerns about childcare and working at home. (laughs) Um, You're laughing. Yeah. (laughs) I know I've been on phone calls with you when when your kids have been joining the phone call as well. Yeah. Um, but you know we do need to kind of know what else is going on in that environment mm. and you know if somebody's young and they live in shared accommodation and there's you know nine people all trying to work off their beds or whatever we do need to kind of know that stuff so I think you can legitimately weave that into your policies because mm. it is relevant because actually if somebody doesn't have an appropriate at home working environment or remote working environment um then we should be talking about alternatives whether that's going to a co-working space somewhere near home but you know not your space um it's interesting when i know my husband's business partner has been angling to try and rent office space and was looking at very, very pricey right next to Temple Meads, Petra <laughs> Bristol, you know, you name it on the price. And they weren't really talking about it. And and I kind of pushed him a little bit last week. And, you know, we unpicked it. And actually, he's really struggling with working from home and just needs to get out into mm. a different environment. So you know, that's led to us thinking of alternatives that don't involve having to spend stupid money. Um, so I think there are lots of people who are going to hit a point with the new way of working where we are all remote from each other, where they start to struggle um, as well. Okay, thank you. Any other questions from anyone everyone's had a haircut since the last time we got together everyone's had their hair done 
Well, if there are any more questions. More questions on the chat group now. I can't see those. For some reason, my chat just looks blank. Do you want to tell me what they are? Um, no, no, we're good on questions. Oh, right, um, okay. I think you've covered the points incredibly sufficiently well, so there's not well, too many questions James, from everybody else. James, as he said earlier, is going to circulate um, the both slides and um, bits and pieces. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I always pull the audio and I'll upload it as a podcast episode. Um, so that's also had like over 300 downloads. So I know you guys are listening to it. So thank you for that. Um, so yeah, we'll get this one up on there as well. Um, so no problem. And again, a massive thank you, Anna, um, for that. I think, especially with this topic, I think one of the big issues with it is that people maybe assume that um, issues like this aren't um, an employer's um, responsibility to take on, and it's not the overall responsibility of the employer, but um, morally, as you said, just as people, it's always important for us to bear all of this stuff in mind. And um, and I think the more we have conversations like this and um, the more people talk about it, and for example, you were saying signposting it more in work policies and stuff, and the more it kind of breaks that barrier down that this should, that this isn't an employee's um, issue to deal with, because um, yeah, we should always be, be on top of stuff like this. So thank you for spending the time putting all that information together and the links. And um, yeah, thank you, Anna. We haven't actually got a date for the next one in the diary, have we? We don't. It's always a bit looser now that it was all online. So um, it's usually every two months. So I'll get another one sort of booked in um, a few weeks from now and just give you guys a bit of notice on it. Um, but Anyone yeah. got topic ideas, if there's a topic that you think we should be covering i'm always open to um open to discussion or indeed if you think you want to do another q a jobby um i i'm always up for the jeopardy of being put on the spot and asked yeah. questions so um no whatever whatever people want really it's your yeah it's your um, community so you shout yeah when i share the slides and everything i'll just put a question or like a little button in there if anyone's got any ideas or um, if anybody else wants to sort of chime in and do a bit of a talk and um, get other discussions going, like absolutely up for um, opening it up. So, um, yeah, please just get in touch. Well, I'm sure everyone's gasping for a cup of tea now. That's the, that's the downside that you don't get you don't get tea and biscuits provided. Yes, you? Um, there's no breakfast anymore. Which is no, a shame. no breakfast. So uh, let everybody go and enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, thank you everyone for joining and I'll be in touch in a couple of days with all the materials following that. Take care. Thank you. Thanks thank all. You. Bye. Thanks, Anna. Cheers. Bye, Anna.